Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here today, and we're glad you are with us. It's a beautiful day outside, and we just love sharing it with you. Uh, if you are in Kidmo, you are welcome to head on out. And if you're a guest and you have a child who's in second through fifth grade, you're welcome to walk out with them and see where they're headed. Um, and let, they have their own time with small groups some games and teaching and stuff that they do fun together out there. So anyways, you're welcome to go check that out. Um, we're glad that you're here, and uh, I'm excited about uh, just these next few minutes that I have with you. Last week, we talked about dreaming God's dream for our lives and experiencing what it looks like to know what God is calling us to. Just to give you a rehash of where we've been so far, uh, God meets you right where you are, but He loves you too much to leave you there. So if you are at a place, um, then you're just not sure if God loves you. God meets you right where you are. But he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants to take you somewhere. And so we're thankful for that. That's the driving idea behind our next series. We're in week six together. And we have, have several of the things I want to share with you in the weeks ahead as we lead up to our 10th anniversary and the significant things that are going to be happening around that. The next thing we talked about was that God will lead you when you follow his call into the uncertain and unknown where you must rely on him. And this is where a lot of us kind of miss what God wants to do in our lives because he is going to do something in us and pull us somewhere that we're going to have to rely on him. If we can do it all on our own, we don't need him and that is not God's dream. We must always rely on him. And then last week we talked about the fact that God will give you his dream that he wants to work through your life. And if you are a busy person, and that's probably most of you in the room, it is hard to dream when you're busy. And so we have to create that margin, that space in our lives in which we are able to dream what God's dream is. And so we're going to continue with that theme here in just a few minutes. We've had the privilege over the last uh, few weeks of having some people come up and share their next. And, uh, and so it's, I, the reason we're doing this is I want you to see what God is doing in the lives of people here and hopefully will also inspire us to dream about what is God really drawing me towards because I feel like I've kind of been setting in the same place for a while and I feel that he wants to take me somewhere but I don't know where and so we've looked at how God is working in our lives and in our church how God is drawing us in our relationships outside of the church and uh, we've got another that I'd like to to share with you this morning so I'm gonna ask David and Stephanie if if they will come up and share with us, and don't worry, you youth parents thinking, what do you mean they're next? They're not going somewhere, are they? So, um, but we, we had an opportunity, um, we'll stay down here, we'll stay down here, yeah. We'll, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Stephanie's been on her feet all morning, so we're going to let her sit here for a minute. So, talking with David and Stephanie, we wanted to, to share another aspect of the kinds of next that God calls us to, and I'll just turn it over to you guys and what God is leading you into, into the next season in your life. All right. Well, thank you very much, guys. We're very excited for you. And um, we'll be praying for Stephanie and for David as they're going through this. Um, but yeah, we're so excited that if you have this news. And, and if you love uh, babies, how many of you love babies? Okay, if you have not signed up to be in the nursery, <laughs> you need to sign up because we're so excited for the Hendersons, but we, there are several babies on the way uh, here at Journey. If you are expecting, I don't want to put you on the spot, but would you stand up and so we can be praying for all of you? 
You know who you are, and I know some of you are in the room. We've got others. Anybody else? We actually have four babies on the way right now at Journey. So if you are not, if you are not serving somewhere, we need you in the nursery very soon. Um, well, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to announce it. Uh, so let's see, who else is not in here? I think everybody knows the rest. Christy and Kevin are expecting... Um, and Leah and Brian are expecting their first. I know they put it on social media. Um, and then Katie, who is new to our church, is expecting. She shared with that with us with a couple of weeks ago. Is that four? That's four. And the Hendersons, yeah. Hey, tune in. Tune in. Don't miss. I know it's been a hard work week. <laughs> All right. Well, let's continue. We are excited for them. Now, I would like to hear from, we're going to have, we have another story for next week to share with you about um, a next and what God is doing. And so if, if you believe God is drawing you, I want to hear about it. I will not, re, we won't require you to get up on a Sunday morning to share it, but as many as we can, we want to share it for a few reasons. For one, we all get to see what's going on in our community Two, you get to share what God is calling you to, which is significant, and lets us pray with you and come alongside of you. And also, it just encourages others who may not know quite yet what God is pulling them to, and, uh, and, and it may encourage them in that as well. And it's not that you're gonna, God has one next for you. As you follow Christ, there's always a next. That's why the series is called Because in Christ There is Always a Next. And so that, that means that after this baby comes, there'll be another one, right? Uh, I don't know about that. Zone defense is very different. I'll tell you, zone defense is very different. And anyways, um, but uh, there's always a next. So even where God is leading you now, it's likely a step to where he is ultimately taking you. And so we encourage you to share that and to be a part of that. Um, what I want to share with you today uh, we're actually going to be talking through Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents, which normally we talk about when it comes to money. But today we're not talking about money. We're talking about how, do, how are we stewards of what God has given us. And so last week we talked about the necessity for dreaming and that we have to put ourselves in a place where we are pursuing God's dream in our lives. What I closed with last week was the reality that God's dream will always include others. God's dream will always include others. That means that if you perceive God is giving you a dream and it is 100% wrapped up in you, it's probably not God's dream. Because God works in community and he works in our lives to make a difference in other people's lives. Now, each of those dreams will impact us and we will benefit from walking with God into these areas that he is calling us. But if it is all about us, it is not God's dream. God's dreams always involve others because he's wanting to do something in all of us. And he's using each of us to make a difference in the lives of others. I had a real privilege this week of, uh, I got to go be a part of a conference with a bunch of camp directors in Newport it's a group that I've worked with, and Deidre and I got our start in camping ministry, and some of the camps that were represented are camps we were a part of, and our kids have been a part of, and, uh, and then one of the real thrills for me was that my former youth pastor, when I was a, a youth, 
was the speaker for the conference. And uh, his name is Bob Brown, and he had been working at a camp where I had been a camper, and then where Deidre and I, both, she had been a camper, and then we went to work at the camp when we got in, into college, and then that's where we met, and eventually, when she looked past all my flaws, she uh, eventually dated me and then got married to me. I, if, I've shared my story before. She also dumped me, but she realized how big a mistake that was and came, came back. So um, well, I'm really thankful for that. But as I get older, and one of the things I experienced uh, when, we were at, when I was listening to my old youth pastor is, uh, as I get older, uh, I, I become more uh, thankful and recognize more of the people who have invested in me. And I, I don't think I'm unique in this. I think all of us have a tendency to become more reflective as we get older, and we look at the people that have invested in us, and it means something to us. And Bob is certainly one of those. Uh, he had invested in me. He was, for my freshman through my junior years, and part of my senior year, he was our youth pastor, and then he went on to become a senior pastor somewhere else, and someone else came in. But he, he was hugely influential within my life and in my faith and understanding that the Christian life is not just about attending church, but it is about a relationship with God and following Him. It was, it's a crucial part that we often miss when we just see being a Christian as going to church and you know being nice and not using bad words and things like that. But instead, it is truly about knowing, loving Christ and following Him. And so he was hugely influential and I had the opportunity I don't ever see him and uh, he's gone on to all kinds of other things but I had the opportunity just to share with him a little bit about how important he had been to me and I wanted him to know how much his investment in me had made a difference and that made me think more and more about others who have invested in me over my life and uh, my two other people that have been huge uh, and have made just huge overwhelming investments in me and, and likely you have a similar story are my parents uh, I had the opportunity to spend some time with them this week as well. My mom went, uh, many of you know her, they, they drove from Knoxville to Chattanooga for, oh, about eight years um, until the drive just got too much for them. And um, in the last couple of years, their, their health, or my mother's in particular, has declined. Scott has reminded her regularly that her health problem started when she stopped coming to Journey. And uh, they, so... <laughs> Um, and he told me again, tell her, because uh, mom went into the, to the emergency room this week and, and had some more, she has some continuing issues, but she's home and she's doing better. But as I look back on my time with my parents, the amount of investment that my parents put into me was overwhelming, both in just loving me and teaching me and, and uh, helping me through education and getting started, encouraging when I needed it and not so much encouraging when I didn't need it. Um, and spent some time this weekend with my in-laws. My in-laws have been a big part of my life, and thankfully they let me marry their daughter. Probably not the wisest move on their part, but they did let me do that. I did go to her dad, and uh, he's the kind that would pull out a shotgun and put it in his lap when I talked to him. You know, he was that kind of dad and still is. Um, and so uh, they have been influential and have invested in my life. I look at our church and uh, I look at the Pollards and Scott and Karen who, when we, Scott and I sat in a Loopy's uh, booth 11 years ago and said, should we start this church? They left a very comfortable situation um, to come and to, to do this thing with us. And so that was an investment and that was a, a sacrifice that they made to come and to help create this church. I look at our leaders in our church and 
uh, the investment in our leaders in us here together is overwhelming because they not only work hard jobs, they come here and they serve here for, for nothing other than this is what God has brought them and called them to, and God is working within their lives. And so I just look at all of these folks that have come in, my teachers and professors over the years, some more influential than others, and uh, Deidre, who has brought me a long way. I still haven't fully grown up, but I'm getting there, and she's patient with me as we do that. Uh, I look back into my business, and I realize there were people that gave me a shot that when I had no reason for them to give me a shot, and that propelled my business to a place where it became a growing, sustainable thing that allows me to do this at, at a far lower income than I would be able to pastor a church. And uh, they took a chance in me. And so that was an investment. And as I look back, the thing that I, I think I recognize most clearly is that when you're young, you tend to take the investment of others for granted. And what you tend to do is you tend to just kind of blow through whatever's going on, thinking that life is about getting out of it what I want to get out of it. And people are investing, and we get to places in life truly because others have chosen to invest in us. And we just keep going, thinking that the main thing is that I keep moving my life forward. That's not the main thing. And as you get older, we begin to value people more, and we begin to recognize what they have given. We would not be where we are if it were not for the investment of others. Now, I'm not just saying this because I had a hugely emotional experience at camp. I really didn't. But it was a good time, and it was good for me to share some things with people that I hadn't been able to share before. But it does lead me up to where... I want to talk to you today and the, the story of the parable of the talents. Because your dream is always going to impact others, which means if you're going to follow Christ, you will live a life consistently being called to invest in others. And so as we talk about dreaming our dreams, the kind of dreams that, that God is not necessarily the author of is the kind of dream that says, I want to propel myself forward. Now, you can have those dreams, and those dreams can be you know, great dreams, and you can do great things with your life, but God is interested in what you can do for the kingdom as a whole, not just what he can do for you in your life. So as we look at this, we look at Matthew chapter 25, we're going to be looking at, at starting with verse 14, the parable of the talents is not just, it's not even really a parable about money, although it certainly has application there. It's really a story about how Jesus views investing, and I don't mean the kind of investing into your portfolio, but in your investing in others and in ministry and in the world. So let's look at Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. It says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. That's important. His property was invested in them. And he took the, excuse me, I'm jumping ahead. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Another important phrase in this. And then he went away. Now a talent is not what we think of as a talent. There are many, we just saw a lot of talents up here in the ability to lead worship. We think of talent as in our, our innate ability, but a talent in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament was a Hebrew um, biblical element of measure. You would measure things 
And the largest unit of measure that you could use was a talent. It was typically used to measure gold and silver. And the word that we take, the Hebrew word that we take the word talent from is keker. And it literally means a round disc of gold or silver. Now, a talent in today's measure is estimated to be about 75 pounds. Now, we read about talents not just here, but we also read about it in the Old Testament. Now, I want you to keep that 75-pound measure. How many of you would like to have 75 pounds of gold or silver? Wouldn't that be something? All my dreams would, be, would come true, right? That's what a lot of us think. Yeah, 75 pounds, how would I, I don't even know if I could lift it, but I'd find a way. I would find a way. We read in 2 Samuel 12, David's crown weighed a talent. Think about that. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took the crown of their king from his head. The weight of it was a talent of gold, and in it was a precious precious stone. And it was placed on David's head, and he brought out the spoil of the city a very great amount. Not his crown, but the crown from the king that he had defeated. I'm sure he took it off immediately. Can you imagine putting a 75-pound crown on your head? Now, some of you women, some of the jewelry that you wear, <laughs> listen, it's no wonder you have back problems. I mean, that stuff's heavy. I'm trying to shed weight. You know what I mean? I'm trying to get rid of weight, not pet it on. A talent was the largest biblical measure. Now, I want you to understand the investment that's being made into these three servants. Now, if we go and look at this, how, all right, let me, let me quiz you, some of you. How, how many ounces are in a pound? 16 ounces are in a pound. All right. Does anybody know how much a, an ounce of gold goes for right now? I don't know. I don't hear an answer in there. All right. Let me help you out. I did Google it. 1347 U.S. dollars for one ounce. One ounce of gold. Does anybody know how many ounces are in 75 pounds? A lot. Thank you. That would have been my answer, too. If anybody did, I was going to sign you up for some administrative tasks here at Journey. If you could do that math in your head all of a sudden. 75 pounds is 1,200 ounces. If one ounce of gold is $1,347, one talent is $1,616,400. Now, that's the guy that didn't get that much. Double that for the guy that got two talents, $3,232,800. And for the one that received five talents, $8,082,000. I just want you to get an idea of what the story meant to those who were listening. This is a lot of money. It's not like, hey, here's a 20, hang on to it for me. This is a significant amount of money. This is a significant investment. The property owner has given these three servants servants, giving them a significant responsibility with what they have been given. Now, most of you probably know the rest of the story, but before we get into that, I want you to remember that the talents were given to each according to his ability. Now, we don't really like that phrase because we each want to think we are the absolute best in the world. We just haven't had our shot yet. But in all honesty, if we are honest of ourselves and we assess ourselves realistically with others, 
Each of us have different abilities, and God gives us different tasks and different investments based on our ability. So it's not that we should look at others that are more capable than us. I do this all the time. Pastors are the worst at this because I'll listen to somebody else's sermon and be like, I need to quit preaching. I'm a terrible preacher when I look at these other preachers. They're just so good, and it's so natural, and their stories are so much better than mine. I just, I need to stop preaching, and I have to, rem- thank you for whoever, amen. That was, I, I was appreciate that. But our talents are given to each according to his ability, and so it comes, you have to come to a place and saying, you know what, I'm okay with what God has given me, and it doesn't change how much God has invested in me. A second thing I want you to know, and that we have to understand if we're going to take this idea that God wants us to invest in others, is we have to come to the place of recognizing that all we have comes from God. All we have comes from God. Now, if you are one of those, and I have certainly been this at different parts of my life, that says, you know what, God didn't give me what I have. I worked hard for what I have. What if you didn't have the ability to work? What if you didn't have that ability to sell or that ability to administrate or that ability to to get projects done? Where did that come from? Well, that's just me. And again, the older I get, the more I recognize there's no, that was just me. That's all what God has given me. And so if we're going to truly understand this parable, we have to understand that all things come from God. 2 Peter 1.3, if you need a little biblical evidence for this, says this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That word all. <laughs> Boy, that's pretty all-encompassing, isn't it? His divine power has granted us to all things that pertain to life and godliness. I like that it says to life too. All things that you're able to live in life comes from God. It's an investment from Him into you through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So as we look at this story, the master expected his servants to do something with what they had been given, not consume it for themselves. He wanted them to do something with it, which is exactly what God wants us to do with the gifts he has given us. He does not want us just to take them for our own benefit and consume them. So he left the property with them. And then let's go ahead and finish out the story just to remind you if you haven't read it before or if you haven't, it's been a while. Verse 16 says, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more, $16 million. So also who, he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. So to everyone who has will more be given, and he will be given in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there are some feel-good moments in this story. There are some not-so-great moments in this story, right? If you're one of the servants that had the five or the two talents, they did what with their money? What did they do with it? They increased it by doing what? Investing. They invested now again, I don't want you to go out of here saying, you know what Mark talked about today? We need to improve our 401k. That's not really the point of what we're talking about. Although it's not a bad idea, especially for the fact that the majority of Americans have zero retirement and zero savings. If you do not have any retirement and no savings, this has nothing to do with the parable of the talents, but you need to invest in your retirement and in your savings, all right? That's just from me to you. We'll talk about this in more depth in the future. You've got to think about the future. The servants with two and five talents invested what the master had given them, and they were rewarded. And for anyone who has given of themselves to serve others to the degree that they are exhausted and worn out, their reward is a breath of fresh air. Well done, my good and faithful servant. It's one of the things I hope to hear when I stand in front of Jesus one day. is what makes all of the investment that you do make because investment does require some cost on your part. If you're going to invest in others, you're going to have to take that from somewhere. You're going to have to invest in your time. You're going to have to invest in your resources. And that means you will have to take of what God has given you and instead of consuming it for yourself, say this, God has given me to help someone else. Investing in others is the way to live life in a way that honors God. The servant with one talent, on the other hand, ignored what had been given him, and he was judged for it. And that penalty was severe. My youth pastor that spoke this week said this, and I completely stole it from him because he is one of those better pastors and preachers than me. He said, there are, you will spend your life in one of three ways. He said, you will either waste your life, you will spend your life, or you will invest your life. Every one of us will choose one of these three ways. We all know someone who has wasted their life, do we not? People waste their life in all different kinds of ways. People waste their life in the pursuit of the the perfect payoff. They don't work hard and steady. They're just always shooting big. I, I'm just going to go into to as much debt as I can, but I'm going to buy a $5 lottery card every single week. And hopefully, I'll eventually, it'll pay out. We've seen people who have been overcome with addiction, and addiction so controls their lives that they have no quality of life. 
We see people who run their health into the ground because they do things to their body that just aren't healthy. And sometimes it's by choice, and sometimes it's not. And it's just as if they live their life, and at the end, it's just wasted. I remember going to school, to high school with some guys, and they got into stuff they shouldn't have gotten into, and they were dead by their mid-20s. They wasted their life. The truth is we have the ability to waste our life, but most of us in this room will not. Most of us in this room won't waste our lives, but we are very much in danger of the second, which is we will spend it. I don't mean you're going to go spend your bank account down. I mean you're going to go to work, and you're going to come home, and you're going to go to work, and you're going to come home, and you're going to go to work, and you're going to come home, and you're going to go to work, and you're going to come home, and the next thing you know, your life is gone. And you have done the things you needed to do in order to get through this life. You have put food on the table. You have had shelter over your head. But you have never reached a place in your life where you have seen God do something significant. You have spent your life. And at the end of your life, it's done with nothing to show for it. We are very much in danger of that. And the reality is, sometimes spending our life looks very healthy. Because we are doing things that we enjoy. We are following our own personal dreams about our own lives. And we think this looks right. This looks good. Some of the people that I've watched spend their lives are highly talented, have much to give, but they keep it all for themselves. And then the third option is that you can invest your life. Invest your life in others. Some of you who are teachers or you know someone who is a teacher, some of you who have taken service careers that don't pay very much, we have seen people that have come alongside of us in our fostering and now as we move into our adoption journey, we have seen people who have accepted careers with very little income to make a difference in the life of others. We couldn't have done it without them. They are investing their life. Whereas they are talented and capable of pursuing a career. If they just look after themselves, they can live very, very well. I was reminded when I looked at these camp directors of all these camps who have given their lives in ministry and service, and I'll tell you, there is not a wealthy Christian camp director. (laughs) I'll tell you that. You don't make any money doing that. And that what I saw among all of these camp directors that a lot of them don't even own their own homes. The camp provides a home for them, and at the moment that they're no longer able to work, if they do not earn, save money and put retirement away, they will retire and have no home. But if any of you have, are, are anywhere close to retirement age, that should put a great fear in you. And yet with great joy do they love each other and do they serve. I, to see them together was amazing. It was an, a wonderful experience to see how much they cared for each other. And they were living life fully. They were investing their lives. As we look at recent stories this week, we hear about teachers that gave their lives for children in Florida because they chose to invest their lives. Now, if we look at their lives, is it a waste because they died early? Or was it the greatest investment that they could possibly have given? Scripture tells us that there is no greater love than when you give your life for another. 
See, there's a way to live life that we're just trying to get out of it what we can get out of it, and there's a way to live life in which you are investing and you are experiencing God's work in it. I want to come back to that in a minute. As we look at our job, sometimes we work just for money, and I know lots of friends, and uh, I, you know, there are times that I feel this way as well, that work is simply a way to make money. And that's a, good, that's a good reason to work, by the way. The alternative is not very good. It's not very exciting, and it's not very fun. I tell my parents, the average child will move back home five times. I think it's like up to eight times now in their lifetime. I said, well, I've not moved home yet. You owe me eight times. I don't know how we're going to figure this up, but you owe me eight times. I've not moved home yet. And they just look at me like, you know, how disappointed they are how I've turned out. So <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't do that, at least not often. But uh, I came across this quote that Tim Keller said. Tim, Tim Keller is a pastor in Atlanta. I think it's in Atlanta. It's not in Atlanta. Where is he a pastor of? I can't remember the name of his church. I'm completely blanking out. Where? Redeemer. Thank you. A job is a vocation only if someone else calls you to it for them rather than for yourself. And so our work can be a calling only if it is reimagined as a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interests. Thinking of work mainly as a means of self-fulfillment and self-realization slowly crushes a person. And I know this is absolutely true because I've seen it. This is absolutely true. Because you can approach your life and you can approach your jobs, you can approach your time in your church, you can approach your family, you can approach your neighbors. Either they have something that I can get from them or you can approach it from the perspective of God has given me something to give to them. That gift is not just to give something away, but it is an investment. It is to make a difference. And as we look at these three servants, two of them did something with what had been given to them. One of them just wanted to go out and live their life and not be bothered. And he was judged for it, even though he didn't consume it himself. But how many of us can honestly say we look at our lives as an opportunity to invest in others in a regular way? If we read... The parable of the talents in context, and this is why reading Scripture through is so crucial and not just proof texting. Proof texting is where we just kind of grab a Scripture and you know, digest it, and we can usually make it say whatever we want it to say based on what we want the outcome to be. We can, we can do that, but when you, when you read the whole context, we begin to understand better. That's why if you walk in on a conversation you just catch a piece and you completely misunderstand what's going on, and they look at you like, are you crazy? You know, it's why you got to know the whole context. It's interesting what follows immediately, immediately after the parable of the towns. Let me read it to you. It starts in verse 31. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
Here's where it gets interesting. This is where it ties back into the parable of the talents, why Jesus follows up the parable of the talents with this section of Scripture. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. And this is so crucial to grasp what I'm trying to share with you today. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, um, prepared for the devils and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then you also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Well, they had never done, these, this group of people had never done it, period. But they're trying to catch him on a technicality. Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Do you notice that between that section of Scripture and the parable of the talents, the rewards and the punishments are the same? Because Jesus never intended for us with the parable of the talents to stop there. He always intended to understand his whole point, which was that we have been given his property in order to affect others, and by doing that, you are literally ministering to Christ himself. So this morning, we have people in there, and I don't know if we've got any babies in there today. If we do, they're probably changing diapers, which is, you know, a lot of fun. And if they don't like dirty diapers, then they're probably not having a great time. We also have some that are in with our preschoolers, Preschoolers are typically not the most controlled group of people in the world. That's why some of you kind of came in and you didn't even stop. You walked by the preschool door, threw them in, and kept going. You're like, I need a break from you. i got to have a break. And yet they're in there giving of themselves, preparing ahead of time, and then serving those kids while we're in here together. We have some volunteers in Kidmo, and we've got some... Students in each of our areas, but we have some students in there and some adults who are giving of themselves. Some of them are, 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 I don't know if they're acting out the story today. Are they acting out the story today? Not today. On the days that they're acting out the story, acting like an absolute fool, and yet the kids love it and teach them a lesson as they do it. Now, you can come from a long day or week of work and be like, I just need a break. And quite honestly, a lot of people do that. A lot of people say that. You know what kind of week I've had. I'm just tired. I'm wore out. I just don't want to, I just don't have anything else to give. And if you look at your service as something that's just costing you something that you're not getting anything out of, you will burn out and give up and get out. It happens. We see it all the time. 
But when you understand that changing this diaper is like, it's not like changing Jesus' diaper. Let's not go too theologically astray here. But this is ministry to Jesus, and it's ministry to you as parents. Same with our preschoolers and our kidmo kids. Same on Wednesday nights with our student leaders. Same with our tech crew and our, our musicians. Same with our small group leaders and those who invest regularly in others. If you do it because you're supposed to, and you don't see it as a ministry to Christ himself, you will give up and you will get out eventually. What Jesus is trying to say is our service is meant to be a ministry to others, and he receives it as if we were ministering to him himself. The parable of the talents is certainly one we can use about money, and it's, kind of, it's really harsh about money, so did you give your 10%? Because if not, you're going to hell. Because literally, I've heard sermons like that, right? It's funny, the gospel never said that. And yet we sometimes use it to boost up the organization. But what he does say is if you live your life only for yourself, then you do not know Christ, and therefore you will not be with him forever. That means you can attend church your entire life, not invest in others, and not know Christ. It is one of the saddest ways of spending your life that could possibly happen. Scripture even tells us there's going to be a group of people like that, and they're going to go to him, and he's going to say, hey, depart from me, I never knew you. I think that has got to be the saddest moment in all of history to have believed I've been coming to church, I've been doing my thing, I've been reading my Bible, but I've kept it all for me because Jesus continually said it is not about, he even said, you know, this is not really even about me. This is about my father, he said over and over again. I've come to do the will of my father over and over again. He said, I have not come to be served, the king of the universe who, through God speaking, created all that, is, that, that exists. And he said, I'm not come for you to serve me. I have come to serve. Because when you choose to invest your life, something fundamentally changes about the way you see the world. Now, I, what I have loved about all our different testimonies we've had is that they We've had some about our stuff in the church, but we've had testimonies about stuff outside the church. Because it's not just that, you know what, we got us, we got some spots to fill here at the church, and that's what it looks like to minister to Jesus. Because this is a lifestyle in which not only do we want you to serve and invest in others here, but we want you to serve and invest outside of here. That means you've got to invest in the people that you work with. You've got to invest in the people that you live near. You've got to invest in your own family members, which is usually where we put all of our investment and it's one of the reasons we've got such a a, a generation of kids that believe the world's all about them because we've invested everything into them and they haven't seen us invest in other people but yet when our kids see us invest in other people it inspires them and it teaches them to view the world and what they have differently so that they invest as well i will go so far as to say from this passage matthew 25 31 through 46 that we cannot claim to love Jesus if we are not investing in others. I think that's exactly what he's saying. If we're not investing in others, we cannot claim to love Jesus. And as we look into, well, who should we invest in? Oh my gosh, our world is so sick and broken. There's room for investment everywhere. There are children 
that need someone to come alongside them and help them because they don't have a parent that's there for them and with them. We, we live in a world that is broken racially. <laughs> and we can't just have the response of, well, you know what? Well, you just need to go pull yourself up by your bootstraps when we sit on the ivory hill with the opportunity to bring people with us. And we don't do anything. We look at these children and it's, it's very popular for someone to say, you know what, abortion is wrong, but what about the kids that have no parents? Are we standing in line to take them? We don't truly believe abortion is wrong unless we're willing to sign up to take a kid that's been born to a family who doesn't want it. I know that's harsh, and there's a calling to adoption. But if we look at our lives as stuff that we have to invest in others, as I look at my life, there are moments I've been really good at this, and there are moments I have been really bad at this. Do we look at what's going on with the shooting? And I've got to say, the, the shooting is creating some great dialogue, and the dialogue is shifting. I am so glad to see the dialogue shifting. Shifting to what is our responsibility as a society to keep this from happening, not just what can the government do, because the truth is we look to the government to fix stuff because we aren't willing to fix it ourselves. I'm so thankful for the dialogue that's saying we've got to start with our own kids. We've got to look. One of the things we constantly try to teach our kids, which, gosh, if there was a lesson for you to teach your kids about the horrors of middle and high school, because there's a lot of them, let's be honest. Teach them to sit with the kid that doesn't have any friends. I tell you, you may not be the most popular person in the school if you do that, but you are ministering to Christ when you do that. And there are kids that are sitting there wishing someone would just care for them. We look at those who are oppressed because Jesus said, I have come for those who are oppressed. We need to be there. We celebrate some of our biggest sporting events that happen in the world, and yet we don't recognize that those are prime time for sex trafficking, for taking children and kidnapping them and throwing them into a hotel room so somebody can make a buck. We live in a culture, oh my gosh, where a child stands up and confronts their accuser who abused them sexually as a child, and, and then a magazine says, you know how you need to heal? You need to take all your clothes off and let us take pictures of you and sell a ton of magazines with your naked body. That's how you'll heal from child sexual abuse. It's, our world is screwed up. And we've got to be there to invest in people. All right, let me back up. I'm getting very excited. Let me give you some practical stuff. If you're going to invest your life in others, let me give you some practical stuff, and I want to close. <clears throat> if you're going to invest your life in others, number one, you have to open your eyes to find people who need to be invested in. This is very similar to the dream that God wants to give you. See, uh, there's a lot of times that we will just barrel through life just trying to get from one thing to the next. And we're blind to what's going on around us. We've got to and open our eyes to see where people are and see what their needs are. Second thing, if you're going to invest your life in others. Investing is a lifestyle, not an event. See, what I mean by that is it's, it's, we, we have a tendency to do something. Like, you know, we don't 
Like, we don't, on Thanksgiving, we don't go to the food kitchen and serve anymore. We did that, but we don't do that. And some may say, well, why don't you do that? That's a good thing to do. And, and the reason is, is because they, like, schedule you in 20-minute in increments. Because everybody goes on Thanksgiving Day. But you know when they don't go? The rest of the year. So we don't go on Thanksgiving. So, you know, we, we've got to look at not just doing an event because we can go and do something and pat ourselves on the back and say, yeah, I ministered to Jesus, it's time to go. I've got other things for me to do now. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. One of the reasons that we're doing Widow's Harvest in the spring, we've got three of those coming up. And if you're going to go with us and, and help with Widow's Harvest, we've got three opportunities in the spring. If you're going to go to the February um, event, which is next weekend, if you want to go with us from 9 to 1230 to, to care for these widows, then you need to sign up today because we got to tell them that we're coming and they know how many we've got and then they know what projects to assign us to. If you want to do that, you need to sign up today. You can do that in the lobby. But the reason that, that Kim has set us up for right now and we're not setting up in the summer is because they've got tons of people that come in the summer, but they don't have many people that come in the spring and fall. So we're going in the spring and then we're not going in the summer. We'll go in the fall because it's not an event it's a lifestyle. We don't just get to do something and pat ourselves in the back and then not do it again. A third thing, if you're going to invest your life, you do have to, and this is one or really I need to spend more time on another time. You have to identify how and how much to invest. Now, this is one where you really do have to be able to hear what God is saying to you as you invest in others. Because I will tell you, there are some people who thrive on your investment. And they will suck everything out of you that you got. Some of us know how that feels. You have to identify how and how much. I have learned, I, it took me a long time to learn this. And so I want to be careful because I don't want to give an excuse for not investing in people. But at the same time, it, it will just wear you out if you're not careful. I have a tendency to invest in two types of people in my life anymore. I invest in those that literally cannot do it on their own. They just can't do it. They just need somebody to come alongside of them and help them. Now, sometimes those people have a specific investment they want me to make in them. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's talking regularly. Sometimes it's coming and, you know, doing things for them. I don't always invest in the ways they ask me to. I, I, I take time to figure out what do they need, and I try to invest there. And sometimes I'm spot on, and sometimes I'm totally wrong. And I'm constantly praying about how to invest in them. But I do invest in people that literally have nothing to offer, and they just need somebody to help them. I can only handle so many people like that in my life. That's, that's why, as a church, our small group leaders are crucial to doing day-to-day -day care and what's going on. And our, our, our service groups are so crucial to day-to-day -day care because I, there's only so many people that any of us can, can invest in in that degree. The second group of people I tend to invest in are people who are also investing in other people. What I tend to do, and this is just me, and I'm not putting myself up as a saint because I have been on both sides. I've been at times in my life where people have invested in me and I've invested in others. And at times I've taken it and just squandered their investment. And I'm not, so I'm not putting myself out here as a saint. But there have been people that I have significantly invested in that once it becomes apparent that they're not intending to invest in anyone else, even though they're capable, I stop investing in them. 
because I invest in people that invest in people. That I just, there's just not enough. I'm not that good. I don't have enough time. I'm not organized enough. I don't have enough wisdom to share. I'm just not that good. And so you do have to be wise when you invest in others. I, I, one friend I invested heavily in for years. I mean, I gosh, I just invested heavily in. And I just noticed, gosh, I just feel like this investment is going nowhere. And he said to me one day, he said, you know what? He said, I'm just going to spend some time think, just taking care of me. I just, I'm just, you know what? I'm just going to take care of me and get what I want out of life. And I remember talking to him and I said, you know what? I want you to know something. That's a terrible way to live your life. And so that's what he did. And he just said, I'm just, you know, I'm not going to worry about anybody. I'm just going to live my life. And I would ask him about friends, and he would say something to the effect of, you know what, they're not, I'm not really friends with them anymore. They don't have anything to offer me. And I realized, I know where this is going. And so I don't invest in him anymore. And I told him. That doesn't make him evil. doesn't make me good. That just makes it realistic because he would suck all my resources out if I let him. You do have to figure out how to invest and how much. You do have to use wisdom. And Scripture tells us, be wise about how you do this. I don't want to make it an excuse to say, you know what, I've invested enough. Or I just don't think you're producing enough. You know, that's not for us to judge. But if a person is reaching out and trying, we can invest in that. A fourth thing, if you're going to invest your life, invest knowing that your reward in heaven is your return. See, if you invest in people thinking, well, you know what, if I, if I take care of them, they'll eventually take care of me. There's a lot of people that do that in business and in the world that are not Christians, but that's not the way we operate when we're following Christ. We operate knowing that I'm giving to you and my reward is in heaven. Scripture actually goes so far as to say, you know what, don't go around telling everybody all the things you do for people, because if you do that, then that's your reward. But instead, just go quietly serve and give and invest in others, and you will be rewarded in heaven. It's a complete upheaval of the way most of us see the world apart from Christ. And that is why this is a a change of mind, a change of of lifestyle. Fifth thing, you cannot invest with what you do not have. All right? If you're propping up your 401k with your credit card, not a wise move. All right? (laughs) Because your credit card is taking more interest from you than you're getting in your 401k. Not a wise move. At the same time, you can't commit large amounts of time to invest in others if you don't have any time to invest in others. This is a hard thing for Deidre and I. We both do a lot. Our kids are active in a lot of different things. We want them to do lots of different things. We want to do lots of things with the church and you know, with four kids, it's, it's tough. And the constant conversation with us is how are we creating time and margin for ourselves because we can't invest if we don't have the time. Likewise, if you spend every dollar you earn on yourself, you can't invest financially in anyone else. And sometimes someone just needs a help. You've got to take time to rejuvenate yourself. None of us are the perfect giver. Jesus is. We are not. And so we have to be replenished. There are times that I, I, sometimes people get frustrated with me. I'll see they're just doing a ton, and I'll be like, are you okay? I mean, are you okay? You're doing a lot. I mean, are you okay? I'm doing fine. Stop asking me. I, just, I know that you can give so much of yourself that if you don't replenish, you'll burn out and give up and get out. It happens. 
You can't invest with what you do not have. Last thing. There are probably 15 more I could share, but the last one I'm going to share with you today. Invest in ways that honor God and build His kingdom. Be wise about how you're investing. Don't invest just in the things that don't matter to Christ at all. Invest in the things that matter to Jesus. That doesn't mean you can't invest in other people outside of the church. But invest with the goal of building the kingdom. You can invest in your church. You can invest in your small groups. You, you, you have something to offer that no one else in our church has to offer. Because you bring a very unique collection of traits, personalities, and experiences here that no one else in this room can mimic. And so many times the reason people don't plug in and invest is because they don't believe they have anything worthy of investing. And let me just say, you have something to offer no one else can offer. No one else can offer. I wrote this down. I don't know if I should read this or not. It says, showing up every day, every Sunday, is less about getting what you want out of every service and more about giving what you can at every opportunity. I tell you, I, it took me a long time to learn that. I remember I, every time a new guest comes, and some of you, this is your first time here, and I remember looking for a church. It is a miserable experience. Amen. Because you go and you don't know anybody. And then you're like, you know what I love about this church? And there's like three or four things you absolutely love. And then you get, you know, but, you know, they got these weird clerks. Like their pastor's really weird, you know. And that's what people think when they come here a lot, which I'm okay with. But, and then you go to another church and it's like, well, you know what? They've got these awesome things over here, but I really don't like this part. And you know, so then you try to match stuff up. And all along the way, you don't know anybody. And, the worship music's awesome here, but, you know, we, we, well, you know, we go back and forth. It's been a long time since I've shopped for a church, a long time since I've shopped for a church. It, it's not fun, but what I have found is that every time I would go to church just expecting for what the church is going to give me, I, I never left feeling great about going to church. The days I felt great about going to church is when I had the opportunity to give something to others. And that's not because I'm a pastor. That's because I'm a Christian. Every one of us has this opportunity. One of the problems that we have, and this is a, uh, something that our elders have talked about and Scott and I talk about regularly, is, gosh, there's so many people who are just looking, looking for the perfect place, and we're not it. <laughs> we're just not it. And we can see it's like migratory patterns of church attenders in Chattanooga. Let me just tell you, wherever you go to church, because we're always about sending, we're one piece of a huge pie. We are not like the church in Chattanooga. I think early on we would have said that. We're like the best church in Chattanooga you need to come to. I mean, we're just awesome. And we grew up a little bit and realized that's stupid. And uh, we're a part of a pie. We have wonderful churches in Chattanooga. Wherever you attend church, if it's here or somewhere else, invest. And what you receive is far greater, exponentially greater, than going to see what the church has to offer you. A friend of mine posted this, and so it just was perfect. I wanted to use it. I don't know if any of you remember the group Truth. Does anybody remember the Christian group Truth? 
No, that's because most of you aren't old enough. They were a college group that toured and had huge recording contracts in the 80s and 90s. They had a song called Living Life Upside Down. This is the chorus of that song. It said, What if we fall into the bottom of a well, thinking we've risen to the top of a mountain? What if we're knocking at the gates of hell, thinking that we're heaven-bound? And what if we spend our lives thinking of ourselves? What if we reach up and touch, the, oh, excuse me, when we should be thinking of each other? What if we reach up and touch the ground to think we're living life upside down? I think that is one of the fears that I have, and Paul had the exact same fear. He said, I'm, I'm working this out because at the end of this race, I don't want to get there and realize that I missed the prize. So I say all of this to you to say, we need you to sign up for volunteer positions here at Journey. No, that's not why I say it. That's what you're waiting for though, right? That's what you thought I was going to say. No, really, you really do need to sign. No, I'm just kidding. I say all this to say that you have the ability to live your life in one of three ways, to waste your life, to spend your life, to invest your life. I encourage you to invest your life. Some of you need to invest here. Some of you need to invest in your families. Some of you need to invest at work and in your neighborhoods. Some of you are. Some of you are investing because you think you're going to get something out of it. And you very well may not. You might. But you may not. And if you don't, Recognize that as Jesus looks at your service, he sees your willingness to invest in others as ministry to himself. So every time you're disappointed because it didn't turn out the way you hoped it would, Jesus is beaming over you. Whenever the investment costs you greatly and the person didn't even recognize how much it costs you, Jesus is beaming over you. We can invest our lives. I'm going to close with just rereading a portion of Matthew 25. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Let's do that together as a church. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for the investment of the people in this room and the people in my life that have made me who I am today. But God, most of all, I thank you for the investment that you have made in me. Father, I thank you for how evident it is in so many lives in this room that I, we're just preaching to the choir. They're giving regularly of themselves. And God, I just thank you for that encouragement and to see that I know it's making an impact in the kingdom. Father, I pray for those in the room who are just now beginning to believe that they can dream a new dream for their lives. I pray that you would open their eyes to see how that dream is going to be able to affect other people. And Father, I pray that you'll forgive us when we have squandered the resources you have given us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to 
to see how you've given us and invested in us. Let no one in this room say, I don't have something to offer. Father, I pray as we move forward as a church, whatever this next 10 years is going to hold for us as a community, God, I pray that we would be investing in our community and that we will see change happen for the better in the lives of those that we invest in. But if we don't, God, I am thankful that you are shining down upon us as if every act of service is an act of service to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.